Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know, how many are glad God knows? For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a, come on, talk to me. A future and a hope. Let's read that together off the screen. Can we read that together? For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. How many can thank God for that right there before we even jump into it? For a few minutes this morning, I want to talk about hope for the future. Hope for the future. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, there's hope for your future. Tell your other neighbor, there's hope for your future. And tell them, before we pray, tell them, you look 12 pounds lighter today than you did last Sunday. Come on, tell somebody. You look lighter. That, that Christmas suit has a slimming effect on you. Let's pray. Jesus, bless these beautiful people. I'm thankful, Father God, to be a part of this church family. I bless everyone in this house today with the grace to hope for the kind of future that you have intended for them to have. I cancel every assignment of the enemy that has been shaped and crafted to discourage, depress, and bring the people of God in this place to a, to a place of hopelessness. Today, that assignment will be canceled. And today, hope will rise in the name of Jesus. Now, bless the people of God. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Today, we conclude our Scrooged series. For the last several weeks during this Christmas season, we have looked at our lives through the lens of the story told about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. He was a miserable old miser who was living a miserable life. He had no joy, no peace, no happiness until one night while he lay sleeping, he was confronted with his past, his present, and the possibility about his future and the reality of his life and where he was shook him to his core and he spent the rest of his life, according to the story, being a man of kindness, redeeming the time he had wasted while living in selfishness. So the first week of this series, we took a look at our past, because how many know we all have one? And then last week, we talked about our present and our, and our current situation. And then today, we're going to talk about our tomorrow. Of all the areas in our lives to talk about, it is the future that furnishes us with the most uncertainty. When we talk about the future, it is that period of time that exists beyond the present. While our past is defined by our yesterdays and our present is articulated in our today, it is the future that grows in the embryo we call tomorrow. The challenge for us when dealing with the future is that our limited knowledge about tomorrow presents us with the challenge and the the impossibility of peeking around the wall we call today to see what's coming tomorrow. How many know if we could see what was coming tomorrow, it might give us a little more peace about today, but it is that unknowing, that, that, that not knowing what is around the corner that sometimes presents us with worry and fear. I have discovered that when I can't see what tomorrow holds, Sometimes my mind goes to work on me. I don't know if your mind works like mine, but sometimes when I can't see what tomorrow holds, my fears start talking to me. When I can't see what tomorrow holds in advance, Satan tries to destroy my trust in God. In fact, it's in moments of worrying about the future that if you're not careful, you will catch a case of what I call the what-ifs. If you're not careful, when you start thinking about tomorrow, you will catch a case of the what ifs. What if I can't pay my bills? What if the plant closes down? What if 
I'm not able to put my kids through college. What if my children walk away from the Lord? What if my friends forsake me? If you're not careful, you'll catch a case of the what ifs. And if you don't catch the what ifs, you'll catch a case of the what abouts. What about my marriage? What about my future? What about my job? What about my home? What about my family? How many know that Satan will try his very best to destroy your confidence in God with the what ifs and the what abouts? And before you know it, if you're not careful, when you start thinking about your future, you can become paralyzed and pitiful, overcome with worry, void of victory, and empty of identity. But the future God has for you was never meant to be something you worry about. Oh, inform your neighbor, say, neighbor, don't worry. Be happy. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, he said, when you start thinking about tomorrow, tomorrow don't get a case of the worries. Don't get a case of the what ifs. Don't get a case of the what abouts. He said, even by worrying, you don't add an, a day to your life. You don't add an inch to your stature. Come on. Worry can't make you live longer. Worry won't make you taller. Worry won't put food on your table. Worry won't heal your body. Y'all not going to talk to nobody today. How many know you can worry, but your worry doesn't change anything? That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. You got enough to deal with. Anybody like me got enough to deal with today that you can put off the worry of tomorrow for tomorrow and, and deal with the stuff you got to deal with today. And when God wanted to help us deal with how we handle the future, Jeremiah 29 and 11 tells us that he gave us a vaccination for worry and for the whatabouts and the what-ifs. And the vaccination is called hope. Somebody say hope. The Bible said in Jeremiah 29, 11, God gave us, watch, don't miss it, a hope and a future. Now here's what I have found out about taking the vaccination of hope. You better take hope. Because if you don't take hope, you might catch a disease called hopelessness. Oh, help me, Lord. There's a lot of people in our world today walking around with a disease called hopelessness. And when they start looking into their future, they see nothing worth living for, nothing worth reaching for, nothing worth believing for. And their life has been overcome with hopelessness. But the Bible said in Jeremiah 29, 11, that God being the loving God that he was, he gave us an antidote and he gave us a vaccination for the disease of hopelessness. And that vaccination is called hope. Slap your neighbor, holler at him and tell him hope hope it is a noun and a verb it is a noun because it is substance that you can that you can get but it is a verb because it is something you have to do yourself you have to hope because god gave you hope hope is the spiritual muscle we exercise listen to this hope is the spiritual muscle we exercise when we decide to have an optimistic expectation about tomorrow based upon the truth of God's nature and God's word. If you don't have hope, it's not because God didn't want to give it to you. If you don't have hope, it's not because it's not yours for the taking. Many people decide to put more confidence in the report that Satan is trying to whisper in their ear than they do in God's nature and God's word. But I came today on Christmas Eve Sunday to stir up your mind and to tell you that if you're going to walk in the purpose God put you on this planet for, you've got to keep something alive called hope. You've got to work and exercise a muscle in your spiritual journey called hope. You've got to be able to look at some stuff that looks like it's falling apart and still believe after it all falls apart, God is able to turn this thing around for me and I'm going to continue to have hope in God. Now I recognize reading Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is a dangerous thing because there are some people who quickly criticize taking a text such as Jeremiah 29 11 and suggesting that we quote it often and preach it often, but not in context. I'm glad the theology police are here this morning, and since you came, I thought I would preach to you about the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. 
Because Jeremiah 29, 11 is not just given to a, a Sunday school class for perfect attendance at the end of their year. Jeremiah 29, 11 was a promise given to a group of people who were getting ready to go into Babylon for 70 years of captivity. Y'all not going to help nobody on Christmas Eve Sunday, but this was a mess they had made their self. I don't know why I've kept talking about this for this series, but I think it's because all of us can relate to this, that most of the messes we experience in our life are not those that are arbitrarily created by the devil. The devil is already defeated. Most of the problems we create in our life are problems that we create through our own willful dis... Y'all don't have to say amen. Wink at me in your Christmas suit. It's, it's the problems we create through our own willful disobedience and obstinate rebellion against the revealed will of God when God tells you something and you don't listen it creates the kind of future for you that you did not intend he did not intend for you to live Jeremiah 29 11 they are getting ready to go into bondage they are getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity this is one of the darkest periods in Israel's history in fact, one psalmist, when thinking about this season, grabbed a pen and wrote these words. He says in Psalm 137 that by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept and we hung our harps on willow trees. And, our, and he said, they taunted us and said, can you not sing a song of the Lord and the song of Zion in a strange place? History would record they put hooks through their nose and drug the Israelites out of Jerusalem down through the town. They raised the town to the ground and Babylon came in and took them into 70 years of captivity for their own rebellion. And right before they go into it, God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're getting ready to take you into Babylonian captivity, but I know the plans I have. God, I'm getting ready to bless myself today. I know the plans I have for you. They think they're going to destroy you. They think they're going to kill you. They think they're going to take the gold in the temple and the furnishings of the holy place, and they think they're going to completely get rid of my people. They, the enemy thinks he's going to take you out, and you've made this mess, and it looks horrible, but I know the plans I have for you. He said, I have plans to bless you. I have plans to prosper you. In fact, I'm going to do something for you that's going to fix your future. I'm going to give you a hope. Look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, God gave you a hope. When I don't have a prayer, I have a hope. When I don't have a friend, I have a hope. When I don't have the answers, I have a hope. When I don't know how to get out of the mess I made, I still have a hope. It's the hope that Jeremiah was talking about in Lamentations 3.21 when he sat down in a bed full of his own tears and said these words, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is the mercy of the Lord that I am not consumed. Great is the fellow I'm getting happy on Christmas Eve. I want to tell somebody if God were through with you, you would already be done with. If God were through with you, the devil would already took you out. If God were through with you, you wouldn't have woke up this morning. But the fact that you're in this house and the fact that you're watching me on live stream is a reminder. Oh, of the goodness of the Lord and the mercy of God and because I'm still here I'm gonna have hope somebody shout it hope he gave you a future and a hope now he couldn't have given you a future without a hope take it in he couldn't have given you a future without a hope because hope is the bridge to get me from where I am to the future I believe God has for my life. Hope is what keeps me going. Hope is what keeps me believing. 
Hope is what keeps us reaching for more of God. And when I look at this word hope, I, I was amazed and shocked to find out that in the original it reads very differently. The original Hebrew, it reads very differently than most translations we read. When the Bible said God gave us a hope, it is the Hebrew word tikvah. T-I-Q-V-A-H, tikvah. And the word literally means a rope. I'm not making it up. Go home and study it in your Strong's Concordance. It literally means a rope. It's the same word used in Joshua 2 when a woman who was a harlot got quiet. That might be too strong on Christmas Eve Sunday. A woman who was a harlot hid the disciples in her house. And the, the, the spies, I got 12 disciples on my mind. And the spies said, we're coming back to take Jericho. And we're going to destroy the whole city and we're going to take what God said was ours. But because you took care of us and you participated in the redemptive plan of God, when we come back to take the city, I want you to throw a scarlet rope out the window. And when the spies see the scarlet rope, they're going to pass over your house and let you and everybody in your house live. That word scarlet thread in the Hebrew is the word tikvah. It's the same word used for hope. Have you ever been living on just that rope of hope that heaven will sometimes drop down? It's the same word used in Job chapter 14 verse 10. When Job said there is hope for a tree. God help me preach today. There is hope. There's a rope for a tree. There's a, there's a scarlet rope of hope for a tree that even if it gets chopped down, anybody coming into the end of 2017 feeling like something chopped you down? Have you ever gone through a season where it looked like something was trying to take you out? Have you ever been through a season, y'all not hearing what I'm saying, and you come out on the other side and there wasn't no figs and there wasn't no leaves and there wasn't no branches and the root system was all jacked up and the devil was sitting there singing your eulogy and it looked like there was no hope for a future. Job said there is hope. For that kind of tree, it can be rotted in the ground, left for dead and nothing more than a stump. But at the scent of water, it will begin to grow again. Look at your neighbor. Tell him I smell rain. I, I smell rain. I smell rain. And it's getting ready to rain on your life. I smell rain. And it's getting ready to rain in your family. I smell rain. And it's getting ready to rain in your marriage. Yes. The devil tried to tell you you were dead and the best was behind you. But I smell rain, and it's getting in fact. I came to tell somebody there's a 100% chance of rain on your life. You get ready to grow again. Somebody say hope. It's the same word used. In Exodus 37, when there was an army called Israel that had become a valley full of dry bones, the Bible said this, that they, the bones, started having a conversation. And they said these words, this is in Ezekiel 37, they said, our hope, our rope is gone. 
We have no hope, and we've been cut off. But God said through Ezekiel, you tell Israel, I'm getting ready to open up their graves. Who am I preaching to on Christmas Eve? He said, tell them I'm getting ready to open up their graves and I'm getting ready to throw them a rope. Hallelujah. Somebody help me. Come on, somebody help me. The Bible said, thank you, Justin. The Bible, hold that rope. Come here. I'm getting ready to pull you up out of your grave. Hallelujah. That's what's getting ready to happen for somebody in this house today. Somebody said, I've lost my hope. The devil tried to bury me. I feel disconnected and dejected. I feel like the best is behind me. But God sits in the throne, you a rope. Grab the rope, Justin. Grab the rope, Justin. I'm getting ready to pull you out of your tomb and pull you out of your grave. Mercy is here to pull you out. I know some of y'all are trying to think about the ham you're getting ready to eat at lunch. But pull on your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're coming out of this grave today. You're coming out of this depression today. You're coming out of this hopelessness today. The devil tried to destroy your confidence in God. But the devil is a liar. God gave you hope. Look at your neighbor say, hope. Hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for a better marriage. Hope for a better job. Hope for a better education. Hope for a better house. Hope for a better come. You don't have to quit. You can believe the best is yet to come. He gave you a hope. He threw out. He threw out. A rope called hope and said I'm gonna pull you out of what you're stuck in and I'm gonna pull you I'm gonna pull you some people are stubborn but I found out God is more stubborn Ooh, hallelujah God will flat pull you out of a ditch you said how will it get me out I feel stuck slap three people and say neighbor God will pull you out he'll winch you out he'll grab you out he'll go shy he'll pluck you out and pull you in to a place called hope. Have you ever felt hope pull on you? Have you ever been in the middle of a battle between hopelessness and hope? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm saying? Have you ever been in a split second battle between hope and hopelessness? When Zion, come here baby girl, when Zion was born, we were in the, I've told this story a few times, we were in the hospital room and all was progressing, progressing rather nicely. All of a sudden, a Christian nurse started hollering cuss words. I knew something was wrong, either with her salvation or with the situation at hand. She began to, to yell expletives, and I said, What's happening? She said, your daughter has a prolapse cord. She's being born with a prolapse cord. I have no medical expertise or education. I didn't know what that means. So I said, can you help me understand what that means? She said, that means she has seconds to live. Just moments. Now it's three or four o'clock in the morning. And in order to give birth to a baby born with a prolapse cord, you have to do an emergency cesarean. The problem is most of the time doctors aren't floating through hospitals at 3 a.m. This woman is screaming. She, she's saying, we got to hurry, we got to hurry. And I didn't know what to do. I was in a momentary battle between hope and hopelessness. Are you following me today? And uh, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. And 
Devin is sitting over there with a piece of God all over. Not me. I was in military form. I'm walking around. I'm casting down death. I'm rebuking death. I called my one of my mentors 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, what are you? he said, what are you doing? I said, get up. Pray. Son is about to die. We need a miracle. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I hung the phone up and never called him back. Until three days later. <laughs> True story. All of a sudden, a doctor walks in at 3 a.m. in the morning. This doctor didn't even believe in God. He was a verified agnostic. He didn't even believe in the existence of God. But when he walked through the door, he knew exactly what to do. I laid down in the middle of that hospital floor between a place called hope and a place called hopelessness. I felt hopelessness pulling on me, telling me God couldn't do it and that my baby's life was in trouble. But on the other hand, I felt hope pulling on me, pulling me into a place of trusting God. I laid down in the floor. I said, God, I declare life over Zion. I believe you're going to protect my baby. And I rebuke death in the name of the Lord. And in about 20 seconds, I heard her little lungs fill up with air. And she started screaming. And I started screaming with her. Somebody holler, hope. Does anybody have hope today? Oh, if I had time, I'd take you back here and introduce you to a man who refused to lose his hope, Andrew Morgan. We went to the hospital almost. Stand up while you're crying. Hallelujah. Come on, we're going to take a walk. We went to the hospital. Stand up, Christine. I want them to see I'm not a liar. We went to the hospital every day for how many months? Uh, 39, days. 39 days and 40 what? 49 days altogether. They looked at us more than twice and said, we don't think Miss Christine's going to make it. Every time I walked in that hospital room, he was pulling on oh, a rope called hope. And he refused. I feel the Holy Ghost getting on me right now. He was pulling on a rope called hope. Somebody holler at your neighbor and say, neighbor, pull on a rope called hope. Sit down. I want you to see her. Wave your hands, Miss Christine. I came to tell you, if you keep your hope, God will give you a miracle. Somebody give God praise. God gave you a hope. And when he gave you a hope, built into that hope was a future. Hope has nothing to do with yesterday. In fact, even though you have it right now, hope has little to do with your today. Hope is always about your tomorrow. Keep your hope. It's a gift from God. And whenever you feel a little bit worried and a little bit afraid, and even sometimes you feel a little bit forgotten, just put on that rope called hope. Because in that hope, watch this, is a future. If you keep on hoping, if you keep on optimistically expecting a better tomorrow. Well, Brother Wallace, you know, I'm just not, a, I'm not an optimist. I believe God is just fine with you believing the best is yet to come. 
Well, you know, Brother Wallace, I've learned. That's your problem. I've learned that if I reduce my expectation, I won't live in disappointment. That's where most Christians live. I'd rather reduce my expectation and live in and, and not live in disappointment than to elevate my expectation and something not happen like I thought it might. See, the reality of it is you can't have the kind of tomorrow God promised unless you elevate your expectation. And the reason this is so important is because Paul reminds us God is able to do exceeding abundantly above. Can anybody other than me testify real quick before we go home that God's done some stuff that blew your mind? No, no, no. Where are y'all at? Come on. Can I find a witness over here on this left side? God has done some stuff that blew your mind. You still don't know how to explain it except but God. I mean, there's some stuff I look back over. I say, you know what? There is no explanation for this but God. There's some stuff I thought was going to work out one way, and it turned out something completely different and so much better. When God gives you a hope, built into that hope, and I'm through in a few moments, is a thing called the future. And the future has to do with your tomorrows. But the thing you've got to understand about God's concept of the future, don't miss this. If you got your Bible, flip it over to Isaiah 46. I'm going to show you something. The powerful thing about the future is that it's already been declared. Now, this is important. Because you need to understand God has declared the end already. In fact, I'm going to blow your mind. God has declared the end from the beginning. Look at Isaiah 46 verse 10. He declares the end from the beginning. Which means if we comply with the one who has already made the declaration, then those things he's already decided are able to come to pass in our life. Now I will be the first to tell you that the greatest threat to the destiny and the destination God has intended for you and I are the detours of what we call detours of disobedience. I'm not going to get much help on this one right here. But God can have a destination and a destiny lined up for you, but disobedience can become a detour to the thing God intended to take you to. If you want to understand the power of the blessing of the Lord throughout the Old and New Testament, you must understand that what we call the conditional blessing of God. If then, who's getting their stuff together real quick? Let me see. This is where we bail out. And this is where flaky teaching gets involved, that we're just going to stand up and declare. It don't matter how you live and what you do and where you go and what. It, none of those things matter. You can live like hell and claim the next level. Woo, glory. The devil is a lie. The obedient will eat the good of the land. If you walk in my statutes, Deuteronomy 28, if you obey my word, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, if you will obey my precepts, then you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come, blessed when you go. You'll be the head and not the tail, above and never beneath. You don't sit on the back of the bus. You sit on the front of the bus because your daddy owns the bus line. That's the kind of blessing God wants to take you to. problem is we jeopardize our future by detours of disobedience and today before we leave I feel like God wanted me to do two things number one he wanted me to make a declaration that somebody who's taking a detour is getting rerouted this morning how many have a car with a navigation system on it how many can choose the voice that the navigation system? 
I changed mine from the factory female voice to a male voice because I didn't need another woman in my life telling me where to go and what to do. I'll pay for that later. I'm in the house. Take the garbage out. Can you help me unload the dishes? Can you walk the dogs? Can you sweep the floor? Can you? And then I get in my truck and it sounds like the same voice. Turn left. Turn right. Go straight. I'm sick of it. I'm getting ready to deliver myself. Sometimes when I put in a destination and the kids start hollering at me in the car and everybody's making noise and my ADD kicks in and I'm driving and I forget to listen to the voice. I miss my turn and I jeopardize my destination. But I came to tell you when you miss your turn in your car, it doesn't mean you don't get to where you were going. It means you got to go down the road and make a U-turn and go, oh, you got to get back on the right road. Look at your neighbor and say, hey neighbor, it's time to get back on the right road. Some of you missed a turn. Some of you jeopardized your future. But Christmas Eve Sunday is a good day to make a U-turn and start all over. I want you to inform your neighbor before we go open presents, slap three people and tell them, neighbor, God ain't through with you yet. God ain't through with you yet. He ain't through with you yet. I know you made some mistakes, but he ain't through with you yet. I know you felt like you messed it up, but he ain't through with you yet. I know you made a wrong turn, but he ain't through with you yet. You got to get back on the right road. Don't get caught with the detours. Because detours delay your destiny. The last thing I want to tell you, and I'm through, is that if God declares the end from the beginning, then you need to declare what God declared and agree with heavens. Who are you in agreement with today? Who are you, oh God, who am I talking to? Who are you in agreement with today? Because two cannot walk together unless they be in agreement. And if God declared something over you in your life and you're not in agreement with that declaration, then it's hard to walk with God. There's a tension. There's a pull. There's a voice pulling you into hopelessness. And then there's a voice pulling you back into hope. And the voice you agree with is the voice that will be your guide. This is the saddest truth, but I have found it to be so. As a pastor who shepherds the souls of people, I have seen people full of potential blow it royally. Not because God intended for them to make a mess of their life, but because they agreed with the wrong voice. Amen. It got quiet. What voice are you listening to today? God declared something over you from the end, from the beginning all the way to the end. I don't have time to go into predestination, but predestination is not just about individuals. Predestination is about a people. If you understand predestination through the lens of your single life, you can misunderstand the entire teaching on predestination. Predestination was God's predetermined decision over what he would do with a group of people who put their faith in Christ. And he decided that if you would be part of that remnant who trusted in Christ, your destination was secure and nothing the enemy did could ever steal you from God's love. Predestination isn't about 
one person being chosen to go to hell and another one being chosen to go to heaven. Predestination was God deciding before the world began that all who put their faith in his finished work and redemptive plan would not have to worry about their future. You have been saved, you are being saved, and in the future you shall be saved. God has declared something over your life. And if you agree with God, that agreement can establish a thing. Job 32, I'm through with this. In just a moment, I'm getting ready to give you a gift. Our church wants to give you a gift. And this gift, I want you to put on your refrigerator or somewhere where you'll see it all year long. Because we're getting ready to make a declaration over our lives that agrees with God's declaration over our life. How many want to get in agreement with God? I said, how many want to get in agreement with God? When you declare a thing, the Bible says that light comes and it is established, Job 32. You make the declaration, light comes and the word is established. Job said, declare a thing. Light will come. And it will be established. Look at your number say, look at your neighbor say, say something. Say something, say something, say something. Come on, y'all talk all the time. Look at your other neighbor say, say something. I want to tell the story about the talking bird, but I won't tell the story. Okay, I'll tell the story. Adopted boy gets grown up, graduates from Georgia Tech University, gets a job at a huge firm in Rio de Janeiro, huge financial company. Go, go, goes to Rio de Janeiro, moves there, and he's an adopted son, graduated from Georgia Tech, a brilliant kid, and it comes Christmas time, and he wants to get the parents who adopted him a very special gift. So he goes into the office one day, he says to his buddy, I want to get my parents a very special gift for Christmas. They've been so kind and generous to me, and I want to give them something back in return. He says, I know exactly what you ought to give them. You need to come with me to the pet shop. So he takes them down to the pet shop. He takes his friend to the pet shop and he walks in, introduces his friend to the manager of the store, tells his manager of the store. He says, this is my friend. He's got special parents that adopted him and they want a very special gift. He wants a very special gift for his parents for Christmas. He said, I have just the thing. And he takes him to the back corner and he shows him a $10,000 bird, a special McCall bird. He said, this bird is the most amazing bird you've ever seen. It speaks three different languages, Spanish, Portuguese, and English. He said, my God, this is an amazing thing. He said, how much is the bird? He said, $10,000. The man said, $10,000. I don't really want to spend ten grand on mom and dad, but they've been so kind to me. They adopted me when I had nothing, so I'm going to buy this bird. Buys the bird, spends $10,000 on the bird, another $5,000 for inoculations and vaccinations, and then another $5,000 to transport the bird to dad's house for Christmas. $20,000 in the bird. A couple of weeks after Christmas, the guy goes home. He says, Dad, I just want to know, how did you like the bird? He said, oh, the bird tasted great. He said, what? Dad, you ate the bird? He goes, well, you, well, yes, I ate the bird. He said, Dad, that was a $10,000 bird. It spoke three different languages, and you ate it. He said, well, he spoke three languages. He should have said something. Look at your neighbor and say, say something. You've got to learn how to declare what God has said. There's a little voice in your head. It's an unseen voice. You can't see its face, but it's trying to destroy your life. What is that voice trying to paralyze me and keep me from the future God has for me? What is that voice? It is the voice of the enemy. And if you listen to that voice, it will direct your future. But if today you will declare and agree with God's word, what God has declared over your life will be so. So here's what we're going to do today. I want servant leaders to help me. We're going to give you just a small little gift. It's a magnet I want you to put on. Come on, all our servant leaders, come help me right now, please. Come to the front. We've got magnets, one for every family. I want you to take this home. And in just a moment, in just a moment, we're going to make some declarations together, okay? Just start passing them out, brothers and sisters, if you would help us. 
thank you, servant leaders, for being a part. Just pass them down through the aisle. I want everyone to get one because they have a future. And we're getting ready just to make a simple declaration. You say, Pastor, do you really believe there's power in declaration? Listen, I believe there is power of life and death in your word. I told you last week God gave you a choice of the kind of life you were going to live. He put before them blessing and cursing. And he said, choose. Today, how many want to make the right choice? Thank you so much, guys, for helping. If you need one still, lift your hand. One per family. Just, just help. We're giving you gifts. We want to give you a little gift. Chris, can I see that one? Somebody say, I am blessed. I am blessed. There's some all the way in the back. They're still getting there. They're coming to you, I promise. We got enough. If we run out, we'll go down to the Piggly Wiggly and get some more. Hallelujah. Your ladder will be greater than your past. Right back there. You will be blessed more than you could ask. Despite all that has been done, the best is yet to come. And your ladder will be greater. Your ladder will be greater. Your ladder will be greater than your past. I'm going to sing that again over you. Your ladder will be greater than your past. You will be blessed more than you have asked. Despite all that has been done, the best is yet to come. And your ladder will, if you need one, lift your hand because we get ready to declare this together. The ladder will be greater. Misty, your ladder will be greater than the past. All things are possible with Jesus. Possible. Possible. They are possible. All things are possible. Sandy, lay your hand on her shoulder. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Ooh. And your ladder, your ladder, and your ladder will be. I see you in your future, Misty, and you're smiling. Your joy is full. Jesus. While God's touching her, he's touching somebody else in this room right now. Your ladder will be greater than your past. Sister Millie, I see in your future and your joy is full. And your ladder will be greater. Jake, lay your hands on Grandma. Ladder will be greater. Turn that off. Your ladder will be greater than your past. All things are possible. If you'll open your heart to the Spirit, He's moving in this house right now. Holy Ghost, have your way. Possible. Possible. All things. All things are possible. Possible. 
your ladder will be greater. sing this together. Say this together. This is not my decree. This is what we believe to be the word of God over your life. I want everyone to stand, all of the families standing over this house. We're getting ready to go in a moment, but I want them to put each decree up on the screen. One at a time. Get with your family. Come here, babies. Come here, Dev. Where's Jeremiah? My Lord, you grew up so tall. I didn't think you was that tall. Come here. All of you stand right here. Get your family, get your family, get your family. We're getting ready to release blessing over our houses. Put the first decree up on the screen, please. I want you to say, we decree that we will be blessed to walk in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit to be, get, to be activated in the gifts of the Spirit and to shift the spiritual atmosphere by His holy presence wherever we go somebody if you receive that say amen say this say we decree the blessing of the Lord over all our relationships beginning with our family that God would bless our marriage and the fruit of our womb that he will bless our children say it like you believe it and our grandchildren and our friendships in this church and in the marketplace that our entire family would be saved, protected, healthy, and blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, we decree. Oh, somebody getting ready to receive this. A blessing over our finances. That God will break the spirit of poverty off of us and our bloodline. And that we will prosper financially. That God will bless us with the power to gain wealth and that we will advance his kingdom. Say it, family. We will advance his kingdom with our generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Say, we decree. the bless Say it like you got faith. The blessing of the Lord over ourselves so that we will be led by his spirit and by his word and that we will know and obey his will that we will fulfill the prophetic destiny that God has placed over our lives in Jesus name amen and we decree we will be strong healthy and whole that no sudden calamity will come upon us that no sickness will invade our body and that our family will be protected by almighty God say this with me like you believe it say and we decree somebody help me on the stage and we decree that 2018 will be the most prosperous, fruitful year of our family's lives. That we will be the head. And not the healthy musicians, we will be the head. And not the tail. Above and not beneath. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the field. Blessed when we come. Blessed when we go. We will see more miracles, greater glory, 
and get closer to Christ than we've ever been before. This is the blessing of the Lord. And it rests upon us now. It rests upon us now. In the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. Give God praise all over the church. Come on. Give God praise all over the church. If you know you're blessed, give God praise. In the name of Jesus, this decree that we've made, oh God, we believe it is in harmony with your promises and your word over our lives. And now we thank you that it is done and it is so. And as we leave this place today, I pray in Jesus' name, we'll remember why it is that we celebrate this beautiful holiday. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're leaving in a few moments. But before we do, if you're in this house today, and all this sounds good and it was beautiful, but it makes little to no sense to you because you don't know who Jesus is, or perhaps your heart has gotten cold and you've wandered away. If you're in this room today, and you need to get right with God. I'm counting to three for you today. And if you need to get saved, I don't care what you've been doing and how long you've been doing it. If you need Jesus to save you, when I say three, shoot your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to give my heart to Christ. This is the greatest day I could ever imagine for a person to come to Christ. And all you got to do is say yes. When I say three, lift that hand up and we're going to pray. One, two, three. Shoot that hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I see your hand back there. God bless you. Heads, heads bowed, eyes closed, just, just for a moment, just real still for a moment. That's you, lift your hand. I need Jesus. Here's what we do at this time. Because I believe you, I believe you ought to make a move to indicate that you're not ashamed of him. If you feel something on the inside telling you you need to get right with God, we're going to ask our neighbor in just a second on both our left and our right. Do you need someone to go pray with you in the altar? And if you should have lifted your hand or you did lift your hand, when your neighbor asks you if you need to pray, just say, yes, nod your head. They'll come with you. I'm going to stand right here and I'm going to wait on you. And we're going to believe that God is going to save everybody who comes to this altar today to find Jesus as Lord. I don't care how far away from God you feel if you want him to save you and rescue you. When your neighbor asks you that question, just nod your head and come with them. Right now, ask your neighbor on your left and right. I don't care if you've known them your whole life or you never met them before today. Say, do you need someone to go pray with you? And if you lifted your hand or you should have, I'm not coming to get nobody. But before we go home, the greatest gift we could ever be given is the gift of new life in Christ. Come on right now. Anybody, somebody's coming. Praise the Lord. Anybody? Thank you for coming, baby. Come on. Come on. Come on. Thank you for coming, pal. Come on. Thank you for coming right here. Come on, they're coming. Come on, there's still time. Come on, come on, come on. This is why we came to church today. Come on, sweetheart. Come on, sir. Come on, somebody celebrate. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you go. You can come home. They're still coming. I wish somebody would praise God with me. Hallelujah. I want, I want pastors and leaders to come help me just surround them right now. I want everyone having somebody praying with them. Stretch your hands and pray over them like you wish somebody would pray for you. You the day you gave your heart to Christ. Would you do that right now? Stretch your hands this way. Just pray for them. Thank you, Jesus. Grace and peace. Strength of God be multiplied. Come here, Pastor Quantel, right here, sir. Help me right here. Pastor Josh, come help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. As they play softly and they pray for them, I want you to lift your hands up in a receiving position. Let me bless you on your way out the door. Take that decree home and put it on your refrigerator. Keep declaring it over your family. Keep declaring it over your life. Father, I bless them today to walk in the peace of God and in the favor of God all the days of their life. 
Father, during this season of Advent, we are reminded that you came and are grateful for your coming. Now, God, I pray you would seal the words and the work of your spirit in their heart and bless them on this Christmas Eve and tomorrow on Christmas Day. Bless their families. Keep everyone in this house and all those traveling to be with them safe as they go their way. In the name of the Lord Jesus and everybody who's thankful for Jesus, shout amen. Shake hands with 117 people. Hug somebody's neck. Let them continue to pray in the altar. Go in the peace of the Lord. God bless you as you leave today.